3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Joe Lieberman is going to be here in a matter of moments. He has put together, or helped put together, one of the most formidable third-party organizations in my lifetime. And I don't think they're going anywhere. Even if they don't run a presidential candidate, they have a lot of money. they got a convention. They have a lot of big names. Joe Lieberman, in a matter of moments. and then a little bit later, Mark Thiessen, he believes that Joe Biden's evacuation, an embarrassing Exit from Afghanistan makes him ineligible, impossible to win reelection. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
1: I can't wait for the Republicans to understand that they have a responsibility to work with President Biden and come up with a solution once and for all, because the American people have been talking about immigration for decades.
3: Uh, Governor, stop pretending that it's uh, the Republicans have to work with Democrats. It is flat out embarrassing what happened yesterday. New York overrun with illegal immigrants. Governor Hochul travels to the White House. The president's in the White House and doesn't even find time to say hello. It cost this city $12 billion over the last three years, and the president won't address it. Can I just back, just, re, just confirm with you that they're all in the same party?
1: Number two.
3: So you're
4: part of the 23% of adults <laughs> who is not who are not concerned about the president's ability to be president because of his age and stamina. I got it. That's but, because we
1: got to do his watch But seventy-seven percent.
4: But seventy-seven percent of adults are worried.
3: Twenty million and counting. That's how much Trump has raised uh, since his mugshot. While DeSantis impresses all by being the man in charge of the hurricane, at the same time calls grow for Joe Biden to say goodbye as he ages before our eyes.
0: Number one. This morning, we are learning some new details about what was going on behind the scenes at the Department of Justice after an IRS whistleblower came forward alleging federal prosecutors were giving first son Hunter Biden some special treatment.
3: Hunter, high man of influence. Now we see the son of the president was wielding power with the State Department, John Kerry, and his deputy, Anthony Blinken, at the time. And we're still to believe his dad knew nothing about his son's overseas business dealings. Uh, Senator Joe Lieberman joins us now. Uh, he's a vice presidential candidate as well, but founding chairman of the No Labels and author of the centrist solution: How We Made Government Work and Can Make It Work Again. Senator, welcome back.
5: Hey, Brian. Good to be with you. Incidentally, I love that uh, uh, "solutions, not division" line that led absolutely uh, the show. That's that, why I'm so that, intrigued by they, No
3: Labels. Thank you. Um, I just got to ask that's, you, that's ask you about, about one thing against a guy you know very well. Uh, I talk to people that used to travel with him all the time, like Lindsey Graham, and they indicate he's not the same guy. And he's forgetting names of people he's known all his life, and he's slowing down markedly. If you were related to Joe Biden, would you recommend he not run?
5: Yeah, uh, uh, to uh, to be really direct about it, I, I I haven't been with him a lot in recent years, so I'm watching him publicly. Uh, he and I are the same age, and uh, you know, thank God we we reached it. But uh, I I I really feel that Joe Biden has had an a, a extraordinary career in public service. Got elected president, I did a lot as a senator, got elected president. And um, I just think that um, really he'd do a favor to himself if he decided um, not to run again and walked off the stage um, with um, with honor. Really, uh, it's time. You know, we all reached that time. I reached it at seventy when I thought it's time for me to go on to something else from the U.S. Senate. So we'll see. Though it's obviously up to him. And uh, uh, but but what this is very these are powerful numbers of public opinion that you talked about about all the people 77 percent worried about president yeah I mean it's amazing and it's not it's not like they're against him on an issue where he can change his position on the issue if he could I mean this is uh, uh, the reality of age so there you go Um, God bless him I wish him well I hope he makes the right decision.
3: But what's best for our country is what?
5: Well, I I, th- I think it's best for him and best for the country if he if after all these years, I mean, he first got elected to the uh, U.S. Senate when he wasn't even thirty, eligible, wasn't even legally eligible. he became eligible before he was sworn in, so he's been in elective office most of the last half century, uh, except for the years between. Uh, the vice presidency, and when he ran in 2020 uh, for the presidency, which was four years. So what what a record. And, um, uh, you know, uh, go forward. I mean, he's got a wonderful family. You know, it's uh, it's just a a personal feeling. I say it with respect, say it with affection for him, because we were good friends when we served in the Senate. It's his call. But um, uh, if he asked me, that's what I, I would say.
3: So I was on with Pierce Morgan last night, and he says Mick Jagger's a friend of his. Mick Jagger's 80, and he just did a a two-and-a-half-hour concert. And he said, nobody, if you saw Mick Jagger, would say, you better retire because he just got it. And I'll have to say
6: this, Bernie
3: Sanders. I watched Bernie Sanders the other day. He's doing the exact same thing he did 10 years ago. So uh, I don't think anyone listening right now thinks I'm putting down 80-year-olds. And, Senator, I I know that you were considering Secretary of Defense. I know uh, Donald Trump was thinking about it. And I don't think anyone yeah. would say you're too old. I actually think that if you ran for president now, you could do it. And I don't think your age would come up maybe for your second term. But could you be president <laughs> right now? If someone put you behind the Oval Office, do you think you could make the same decisions and be uh, almost as formidable as when you were 60?
5: Well, if I maybe be Sherman-esque, I have no interest in doing True, that True, but I'm just curious for I, your age, I, though. I just,
3: you know what you have well, left. Well, I—,
5: I Look, you know, you uh, look. I'm not. I feel very good, thank God. And uh, uh, but I'm I'm certainly not do, uh, as good what I was uh, twenty years ago, ten years ago. On the other hand, you do learn from experience. So uh, could I do it? Of course, I'd like to think I could, but I will never do it again. It, it, it's all individual. You know, you mentioned Mick Jagger. I think Dylan is still performing. Uh, it's kind of uh, kind of amazing, uh, but it so it depends on the individual. Yeah, and, but, yeah. Bob um, Dylan looked exhausted yeah, but, at
3: twenty, but so <laughs>
5: you just well, that was <laughs> that was his shtick. Yeah. At twenty, we could actually still understand some of the words he was singing. As time went on, you had to uh, impute uh, your own uh, meaning. Yeah, he, his he sings
3: in cursive writing. Uh, just kind of everything <laughs> blends together. Uh, Senator right. Senator Lieberman, uh, you believe uh, when No Labels came together, I thought it was a radio show. I heard Governor Huntsman on the radio when he talked yeah. about solutions, but he's a Republican and did an unbelievable job right. as ambassador to Russia, by the way. when And he just kind of disappeared from the landscape these days. And I, I, His daughter is a fantastic anchor on a side note. But, Senator, when you saw... When you saw that Trump and Biden are favorites to be their party's nominee, if that indeed happens in April, you're going to have a convention, and is no labels going to have name a president or vice presidential candidate?
5: Well, we might. I mean, uh, look, it's an amazing moment because uh, um, almost 50 percent of the American people have lost confidence in either of the major uh, two political parties. So now you got like 49% of the saying they identify themselves as independents, which is a much greater than it ever has been before. And as you said, Brian, when you ask them about uh, uh, the race being between presidents Trump and Biden, uh, 65, 70, 75% say they don't like the choice. They want somebody else. So right now what we're doing, because we're committed to, as you say, solutions, not division. And we think Trump-Biden means more division uh, in the campaign and more whichever one of them would get elected. So right now we're trying to keep the door open to a third choice, which would be a bipartisan unity ticket. And what does that mean? We're working really hard to qualify for a third line on the ballot in all 50 states, which is not easy, but we're making real uh, progress added. And then, you know, as as I learned long ago in Connecticut politics from somebody uh, who said to me, in politics, a day could be a lifetime. So right now, it certainly looks like both uh, Republicans and Democrats are headed to nominating unpopular candidates for President Trump and Biden. And if, if that happens, and we think a third bipartisan ticket has a reasonable chance of winning and won't just be a spoiler, I, I, I think we're, we we're, we will do it. But we can't decide that until we get to next uh, March, uh, particularly after Super Tuesday primaries to, to decide. And then we have a, a convention, um, really unprecedented, a bipartisan national nominating convention for Dallas, Texas uh, in April of next year. So. It's a remarkable time, and I feel good about what we're doing. What's going to happen to it? I don't know. I mean, look, at history doesn't offer much confidence to running third-party tickets to win. The last one to win uh, arguably was uh, our beloved Abe Lincoln in 1860. But this is an unusual time. I don't think the anger and the disappointment with the Republicans and Democrats has ever been greater, or the pessimism and worries of the American people about the future of the country has ever been uh, more intense. They really want solutions, not division. And from the two major parties, they're getting a mostly division, and that's where there may be an opening for a third ticket. We'll see.
3: To, to complicate it, Cornell West is also running uh, to the left of yeah. your, your former party, the Democratic Party. Uh, here's what he right. said yesterday. He's a Green Party candidate, cut 11.
5: They are dominated by the corporate wing. They're dominated by the militarists when it comes to foreign policy, and that he and AOC and the others are going to be, in a certain sense, window dressing. The Democratic Party is beyond redemption at this point.
3: So he has a different view. He he wants to go more to the left, and he uh, and when it comes to the war, he wants no part of it. Um, I mean, he'll never win, and there's there's nobody who thinks he's going to win. But if he takes three percent, that would swing the election. Now, if you guys come in, yeah, it would it would yeah. just throw everything on its head. I and a lot of Democrats are are more exercised about no labels than Republicans. Would you agree with that?
5: Yeah, for sure. And you know what's really interesting is you. Uh, Talk about Colonel Cornel West. Um, Democrats, certainly on the left, are are much more agitated about no labels running a ticket than about Cornel West running. But the truth is that Cornel West is much more likely to be a spoiler in the sense that he will definitely take votes from the Democratic ticket, and we think. Because no labels, if we run a ticket, will run a bipartisan ticket that the odds are. And our polling shows it right now that we're going to take pretty much equally from um, both uh, major parties. So um, we'll see. Look, the other danger here is if Cornell West um, really begins to show some strength, and it doesn't have to be a lot of strength. It could be 3%. 4%. 4%. Uh, he's going to lead people in the Democratic Party to say, uh-oh, we better go more left than we are now. And in my opinion, of course, that's not only bad for the country. In terms of policy, <clears throat> it's a losing strategy because they'll, uh, the Democratic Party will lose credibility with the, with the big middle of um, independence, yeah. particularly that I talked about, and moderate, are Republicans and Democrats who might otherwise vote for uh, a Democratic ticket. So uh, this is a really uh, historic race shaping up, and it's and of course it's it's very important because the country has so much strength, but <clears throat> so many problems that need solutions and not division.
3: Uh, Senator Lieberman, guess guest, uh, Senator. The my my question is I just from my perspective. I think what you've done is build something not for 2024, but to last. Isn't that the goal? Do you want this to last? So this way you could be a factor and maybe start putting people into Senate race and congressional races. Is that not the goal? Am I, am I wrong about that?
5: No, you're not wrong. I mean, look, it may be that we see a moment of opportunity at the national level next year and we run a ticket. Um, bipartisan, and maybe we win. Or maybe we uh, do really well and we establish ourselves as a third force uh, with the main message to the two major parties, come on, get with it. And I I quote your uh, slogan again, our motto, uh, we need solutions, not division. Um, But it might well lead to another run for national office in 2028, and particularly strengthen our position in uh, Senate and House races. That's how we started uh, in you 2010. You won. You
3: beat Ned Lamont after he beat you for the nomination.
5: There you go. As an independent, right. Yeah. And and look, No Labels has been supporting uh, centrist, independent Republicans and Democrats for the last Oh, five or 10 years and electing a, a bunch of them that became the House Problem Solvers Caucus uh, I, I, in the Senate.
3: I would like to nominate yeah. Tulsi Gabbard for your ticket. Uh, that'll be one half and then see see what <laughs> Governor Huntsman and others will do, because uh, she's quite impressive and she's not going to yeah. be outworked. So take a look at her. That's my nominee for you guys.
5: That, that's a good one. Those are two great names. Uh, have, I they, have you it. thought about them, Joe? Hey, hey. Yeah, I mean, we're not—we're not really. Did you I mean, approach her? Fall, uh, I haven't, but I, she's been at some. Uh, Tulsa Gabbard has been at some no labels events. She's been at some of our calls just recently. She was on one of our mm. calls just talking about policy and mm. and what we're up to. So I think uh, there, there are lines of uh, communication. But you know, in in the fall, which is pretty soon now, we're going to establish a gotcha. process for beginning to consider candidates yeah. but that the main event for us now we got to get on the ballot in 50 states with go to listen third choice line you
3: know how to do all this stuff and do not tell joe Lieberman no he'll find a way senator joe Lieberman <laughs> thinks america Thanks, first brian. always great sir back in a moment
2: both sides all opinions it's brian kilmeade fastest three hours in radio you're with Brian Kilmeade
3: hey I went a little long on that last segment but Mark Thiessen's next Mark really had an interesting column yesterday we're both outraged on a daily basis about the way we left Afghanistan now in the Atlantic an excerpt from a book that talks about the play-by-play of what happened in Afghanistan as bad as you think it was as you know, as ill thought and conceived as you may have concluded it is worse it is worse so I'm going to talk to Mark Thiessen about that and what it means for electoral fortunes. Keep in mind, and you probably forgot this, but Joe Biden was riding relatively high in the polls because everything was about the vaccine. He got 70 percent of the public taking the vaccine. People were beginning to go back to work anyway. Whatever credit you want to give him, he has been over 50 percent since he left Afghanistan the way he did leaving all these Americans behind, not taking any blame, blaming Trump and his generals, saying no one ever advised him that this could go awry, that they'd be collapsing before September 1st. Since that time, he hasn't been over 45%. And most polls have been at 39%. And when you watch him lately, 70% of the country said too old to govern.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: I would freeze the current lines of control. I would further make a hard commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO. That's enough to get Putin to do the deal. But I will require something even greater in return, Jesse. Russia has to exit its military alliance with China. Right now, we're pushing Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest threat that the United States faces today. And so just as Nixon did it in 1972, I'll do it in reverse. Pull Russia apart from China. And by the way, get Russia to also remove its military presence in the Western Hemisphere. Get out of the Western Hemisphere. Reopen economic relations with Russia. That's how we do it. So.
3: If you heard some scribbling in the background, it is Mark Thiessen getting ready for his next column because he thinks that is a genius foreign policy. And he thought, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? It's so effective. All you need to do is ask Vladimir Putin to stop hanging out with China, say you can keep that 20 percent of a country you invaded, and then just promise not to do any military exercises with them. How, that's going to work perfect, Mark.
0: It is. I think we should put this guy, parachute this guy into the Oval Office right now. We'll have world peace.
3: Right, and I mean,
0: and rainbows and unicorns for everyone.
8: It's going to be awesome.
3: What is your what <laughs> what are your thoughts that he he re- repeats this? And I like Vivek, but uh, and I we've I did an interview special for his book three years ago for our channel, and everyone yep. I admire his success and the, his ability to go out there. But the, this foreign policy is not worthy of his intellect.
0: No, it's not, and it's. I mean, it's 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 so amateurish. It's almost like criminally stupid. You know, the the idea that first of all the R- Russia and China don't have a military alliance. It's not like NATO, right? Where you can like enter it and exit it. It's an informal no holds barred or no no limits partnership that they announced. That they before the invasion of Ukraine, Xi Jinping, uh, he um, he spent he had forty meetings with Vladimir Putin, more than any other leader in the world. They, he has been courting and forming uh, Putin and for, forging this relationship for a long time. The idea that Vivek Ramaswamy is going to come into the Oval Office and somehow magically convince Vladimir Putin to abandon the uh, the alliance of autocracies, the informal alliance of autocracies, and join the West uh, and, and be part, would be with us in exchange for 20% of Ukraine uh, is just—it's so dumb, it's disqualifying.
3: Right, and he and he's not dumb. That's just it. Uh, I his don't,
0: is, I'm i not saying he's dumb. I'm no, saying I know. his idea is dumb. And, and honestly, you know, to, with all respect, when you have a dumb idea like this and people point out to you how dumb it is and you just double down on it, that does kind of call into question your overall intelligence.
3: A good point. Also, your stubbornness. <laughs> Maybe you realize yeah. you don't want to back out of it. Uh, yeah. And you could uh, – I'm going to protect Taiwan until 2028. And oh then I'm going to go back to our strategic ambiguity. So –
0: I mean, but that's again. So, what he's saying is that we ha- the only reason we have any interest in Taiwan is because they produce 90% of the high-end semiconductors that we need for our economy. So, his solution is we're going to get semiconductor independence by 2028, which is not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I would love it, it would, you know, but again, I'd also love puppies and rainbows. Um, you know, we can we can increase our, our self-reliance on these things and we can make that. But we're not going to be semiconductor independent by 2028. But let's say magically we did have puppies and rainbows and, and semiconductor independence. Then he's saying after that, we our commitment to Taiwan is over. And so what China hears is so I can invade Taiwan in 2028. Got it. Marking my calendar. We're good. We, we need a little time to build up our military, too. So this is perfect for us. We'll 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 cut that deal. No problem. Go ahead. Vivek. Do it. I mean it's just it's just it shows such a lack of understanding of how the world works, of how great power conflict has happened over it. It's like a guy who read like a foreign policy book and wrote a freshman paper, coming up with like great ideas on why all the great strategic thinkers in history were wrong and came up with his own solutions and doesn't realize how amateurish and how how sophomoric they are and is actually campaigning for president on them. It's it's so beyond it beyond i've
3: never i've quite frankly never seen it so uh in this uh, political realm right now you were at a column yesterday you you and i are both like many americans especially those who served or have operation pineapple type units that gave up their 401ks to get our allies and americans out because of the way joe biden decided to leave as you may or may not have read the atlantic story about the play-by-play of afghanistan it is really more uh epically incompetent that you can ever imagine. It really is one guy's arrogant, stubborn approach that he knows better, telling the military, pull everybody out, we'll all be fine. And when it all collapses, he blames Trump and says, no one advised me that this could happen. That is pure. Yeah, it is a lie, which went into your column. Uh, Tell me your thoughts about how the president didn't pay a price for this at the midterms, but will next term, next time in 24?
0: Well, I think if he loses the presidency, and I don't know that he will, um, because he should have lost the midterms and he didn't. Uh, But that's another topic. But if he does lose the presidency, it'll be because of Afghanistan. And it won't be because people are going into the voting booth with the images of the dead Americans at Abbey in their mind, or with the images of the Afghans falling off of the fuselage of American jets, like that. It won't be because of that. It'll be because that was the moment when they decided he was incompetent and mentally unfit. Like that was the turning point. If you look at the, again, in my column, I go through all the polls. So if you want to get the actual numbers, I encourage you to go to the Washington post and read my column. But before the Afghan withdrawal, before the fall of Kabul, um, he had never been below 50 percent approval. And immediately after Kabul fell, he fell below 50 percent for the first time. Then he then he went underwater where his disapproval rose up to above his approval. And he's never recovered on that. Right. So he's been that was the turning point where Americans said this guy is no good. Then on top of that, his Numbers starting in October, right after the withdrawal, was the first time that you saw that people, the majority of Americans, said he's mentally unfit, he's incompetent, and his, his and his approval numbers on honesty and trustworthiness. Before, example, before Afghanistan, a majority of Americans said he's honest and trustworthy. Then they saw him lie. They saw him say, mil- no one advised me to keep troops in, and that wasn't true. Yeah. They said the al-Qaeda isn't with the Taliban. Wasn't true. This was a uh, extraordinary success. Wasn't true. And they stopped uh, listening to him, and then all of his numbers, one by one, on every other issue, fell. Because when you lie to people about one thing... They assume you lie about everything, and so they don't believe you when you say the economy is getting better. They don't believe you when they say we got a plan to control the border. They don't believe you. And so literally this one incident is what pulled the floor out from under him on every other issue. And so, yeah, they won't necessarily be voting on Afghanistan, but every American will be voting on Afghanistan.
3: Okay. Uh, and 77 percent of the country and well over two-thirds of Democrats think he's too old to run, but yet he's still yeah. running. Which is insane. Right. I mean, it's not 70 percent. This is most Democrats think he's too old. You have about seven surrogates fanned out campaigning for him because he obviously can't. He does not do interviews. He's been constantly on vacation. He has been 60 times. He spent weekends in Delaware, let alone the Lake Tahoe excursions. Uh, so he can't, he's showing everyone he can't do the job and this new book saying that he's always tired and that he's being treated like a toddler by his staff. That's not going to help Mark.
0: No, it's not. But keep in mind, he won the presidency that way in 2020, but he, he had he no, you could honestly basement. say he had no he, choice. He, he, he I mean, he, you know, he, he wanted it. In a, he can, he won it from his basement in Delaware. He could win it from the basement in the white house. It, it, it matters it, what the only chance he has of keeping the presidency is if, if voters look and say that we like the Republican nominee worse, less, right? So Joe Biden right now, if you go to the 538 average, or like that, they go back and they compare polling averages for every president in the history of polling. The first, big, first polling president was Harry Truman in the modern age of polling. And he is the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling going all the way back to World War II except for two, Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump. They're the only ones who he, who uh, who who he is he is not less popular than. And with Trump, it depends on the day. He goes up and down uh, with Trump. So if you've got the least popular president in the history of polling, why would you decide to choose the guy who competes with him for being the least popular as your
3: nominee? And, the and here's the thing: I'm down. sure you've also seen this. Head to head, if you put Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, uh, Trump does better head to head with Biden than those but other no one two.
0: No one knows them yet. No one knows them yet. I mean, truly, you know that 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 they, you could say he's. That, I just don't. I just don't buy that. I think that the the, the the problem that Trump has and why he has a which Nick neither Nikki Haley or DeSantis or any of the other Republican candidates have is that he's a known quantity, and swing voters have made their judgment about him. So, the Wall Street Journal poll by Tony Fabrizio, who's a, used to be Trump's pollster, is a pollster for a pro-Trump super PAC. He asked people who disapprove of both Trump and and Biden, who do you disapprove of more? And Biden won that by 39 points, 56 to – I want to say it's 56 to 15. So the voters who disapprove of Joe Biden, who we need to vote for the Republican to come over, disapprove of Trump even more by a 39-point uh, spread. So – you know, this election's going to get decided by a couple hundred thousand people, swing voters, in five states. That's that's the target. That's the people you have to convince to win the presidency. And I and, and I say this with sadness, not anger, because I think Donald Trump was one of the greatest presidents in my lifetime. I think that in office he was his accomplishments were second to none. I mean, from, the, from, you know, the Abraham Accords to, uh, you know, to, to taking out Custom Soleimani, to the economy. To- Tax reform. Go through the yeah. list. He's one of the most accomplished presidents. He, they, he has alienated the people. Good two-term, the reason he's not a two-term president is because two-term presidents go out and convince people who didn't vote for you the first time to vote for you the second time. And he did the opposite.
3: But the one he's thing that's alienated- happening, if he if he's finds a way to survive these cases— And if they're put off till after the election, he has done almost the impossible again. These cases, the aggression, the pure politics that are involved in it, Letitia James deciding that he inflated his worth. Therefore, when he paid off his loans, it wasn't right. He's got no debt. He's paid off all his loans. He's got nobody coming after him for anything. And yet Letitia James, pure politics, Alvin Bragg, pure politics. I could argue that Jack Smith's aggression is, oh, he's as over his skis as he was with Menendez, Edwards, uh, as well as McConnell. Virginia. And then you have this ridiculous uh, suit in with 19 people in Georgia and people are going, yeah, I didn't want to see Trump again. But I I resent this. And I I think that that's that's the one thing that's that I when we were having these conversations after the midterms, I didn't anticipate.
0: But here's here's the thing. So I resent it, too. I think they're weaponizing the justice system. Two things can be true at the same time, that they are weaponizing the justice system against Donald Trump. And that Donald Trump did things that gave them the pretext to do that. So walk with me through an alternate history of the last three years. Donald Trump presides over a smooth transition, doesn't accept that he lost, but, but invites Biden to the White House, attends the inaugural, and it gives a farewell speech in which he says, like like MacArthur, I'll be back in four years. And then he goes and he goes to Georgia and instead of trying to turn around the election results there, holds the Senate in Republican hands, and as a result, Biden can't spend $5 trillion. And then he goes and he goes out and recruits people in the midterm elections, and he, when he finds out that he has classified information, he does what Mike Pence did and hands it back. And then he goes out and he wins the midterms uh, for, for Republicans by recruiting people who could actually win races. All of a sudden, he's he would be up right now by 20 points, and it would be heading towards a landslide victory. Be no,
3: no, 100%. There
0: would be none of this.
3: We'll say we might have lost him.
0: Yes, they hate him. Yes, they're mistreating him. But he makes it easy for them. And I don't want to spend the next year talking about Donald Trump. I want to talk about Joe Biden and why he has to be out of office. And with all these cases going on, all we're going to be talking about is the 2020 election and Donald Trump.
3: All right. So what changed after what changed uh, when you saw eight on the stage without Donald Trump? What do you think changed after that this week? And as we get set for the Dana Perino, Stuart Varney debate. At the end of September,
0: I I, so I think that Nikki Haley did a really good job. And I think she emerged. I think Ron DeSantis did himself some some good. If you look at the polls, his support increased a little bit and his favorables went up. I think what's got to happen here is you've got to winnow the field. So basically there are two primaries going on. There's the primary to take on Trump and then there's a primary against Trump. And every debate, we should be increasing the threshold that it takes to get there. So the first debate it was one percent, and that knocked out a couple of people who shouldn't have been on the stage. There were still too many people on that stage. I think in the next debate we should have fewer. It should be three. I think they're saying it's three percent. It should be five percent polling. And then the next debate seven, and the next debate ten, and eventually you got to get it down to two people, and we got to decide between those two people, and then we, somebody you have one person going against Trump for the and when it come when when we come in January. If you have got like seven or eight people on the ballot going against Trump, then he's going to win. It's done.
3: Well, that's where it is right now. Uh, we'll have to yeah. see if he gets out for that next debate. I think he might do but it. But he's
0: only but in all of those states, he's at 42, 43, 44%, which means 56, 57, 58% of Republicans want somebody else. So it's a question of whether there's a there is a electorate ready to nominate somebody else. But it's got to be one person. We mm-hmm. got. We can't have a, a crowded field.
3: Mark Thiessen, uh, always interesting, great column, and will tell Vivek Swami that you will not be his Secretary of State. I'm going to tell. I, you.
0: I, I will. I will not be, and I don't think the chances of that being
2: necessary are very high.
3: You'd have a hard time with those policies. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Enjoy Labor Day. Back in a moment
2: politics current events and news that affects you brian's got a lot more to say stay with brian kilmeade he's so busy he'll make your head spin it's brian kilmeade
7: it's fascinating behind the scenes republican conversation about senator tim scott donors are very concerned about the fact that senator scott is 57 and single they're saying is there something we should know the fact that he is a bachelor and america hasn't had a bachelor uh, president in more than a century they're concerned that if they go all in on him then in a very conservative party that could suddenly be an issue because the answers so far about this from Senator Scott and from the campaign have been vague. What has that done? It's been just like in re- in real life. It's made everyone just more curious about it. Axios is able to report this morning, the Scott, Scott campaign now saying that Senator Scott will address this issue in the next couple weeks.
3: All right. That is Mike Allen of Axios founder talking about Mike Scott. I did hear that at the debate. People were asking me, uh, analysts were telling me, uh, you know why is Tim Scott not married? You know people are asking that question uh, in all communities, and I thought well, it's none of your business. But then again, it is because if you want to find out who's going to be in the Oval Office, you want to find out what goes on. You know, and I think at this point it doesn't really matter. Do you think it matters?
1: Yes, and I mean I I understand his point. Like donors want to know is there going to be some surprise that comes out, right? I mean, right. if there's one thing to have, you're privately private, but. You know, you don't want some scandal to emerge in October of 2024.
3: But, I mean, Republicans have embraced Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. I mean, that's, that's but, uh, I mean, the 1976 motor with Her life has Cold been
1: very transparent. I mean, you know all of the relationships, you know, right. it's been on reality TV. So there's not, no surprise there.
3: Understood. Um, so that that's an interesting way to go. The other thing is uh, that I found that I almost thought, and I think you know this. Nikki Haley has got some momentum and I've always said that she's so much better than people think. Oh, she has no traction, she's been in there forever. But people just needed to put her on stage. Vivek Ramaswamy is the best thing to ever happened to Nikki Haley. Jamel Hill going after Nikki Haley calling her a racist, best thing that could ever happen. I thought that when Tim Scott was called out, too, I think that's the best thing that happened to him. You need so, you need a foil, you need a reason to be passionate.
2: Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
3: All right, from 40th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, the home of illegal immigrants, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, We're going to have John, uh, we're going to have with us in a matter of moments. In fact, he might even be ready around now, John Roberts. He's getting set to host his show in a couple of hours a big hit show with Sandra Smith on on uh, Fox News Channel, and he's also covered the White House for years. And he was stuck at CBS for the first two or three decades of his career, but he's so much happier now. But before we get to John Roberts of Fox, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three,
1: I can't wait for the Republicans to understand that they have a responsibility to work with President Biden and come up with a solution once and for all because the american people have been talking about immigration for decades
3: you believe this she's blaming republicans what a joke embarrassing new york overrun with legal immigrants governor Hochul travels to the white house and the president doesn't even find time to say hello leaves him with his chief of staff this has cost this city over the course of three years twelve billion dollars we're getting three thousand a week in and so far, 7,000 a day are once again streaming across our southern border, minimum.
1: Number two.
4: So you're part of the 23% of adults <laughs> who is not who are not concerned about the president's ability to be president because of his age and stamina. I got it. That's but, because you
1: got to do his watch, watch him.
4: But 77% of adults are worried.
3: 20 million and counting. That's how much Donald Trump has raised since his mugshot. Uh, was put public, and DeSantis impresses all by being the man in charge of the Florida hurricane. At the same time, calls grow for Joe Biden to say goodbye. As 70% of the country says he is too old, count me in.
8: Number one.
0: This morning, we are learning some new details about what was going on behind the scenes at the Department of Justice after an IRS whistleblower came forward, alleging federal prosecutors were giving first son Hunter Biden some special treatment.
3: Hunter, high man of influence. Now we see the son of the president was wielding power, not only with the White House, the second, uh, the, the second man in charge, the vice president, but the State Department, John Kerry uh, and Anthony Blinken. Yep, but his dad knew nothing about it. He, they just, when they got together, only talked about the weather. John Roberts, co-anchor of America Reports, when we get together, we talk much more than just about the weather, and I'm willing to uh, go under oath and admit that.
9: Well, you know, that's what happens when I get together with the most approachable radio host (laughs) in the country.
3: (laughs) He's mocking my my intro guy. Oh, I'm
9: not mocking. I'm appreciating it. That is an amazing slug line. Do you want it? Do I want that same slug line? Yes. No, I'd like to be the least approachable person. (laughs) You want to be left alone. I'm kidding. Yeah. Don't come near me, please. So well, I, I I love meeting all of our fabulous Fox viewers, just like you do.
3: I know. Is but uh, on a side note, while you're on that, is it different meeting somebody that saw you on CBS as opposed to someone that sees you on Fox?
9: Yeah, it, it it means that the people who saw me on CBS have phenomenal memories because that was a long, long time ago, Brian, and I can't remember half of it.
3: No, I'm talking about when you were recognized, when you were at CBS.
9: Oh, is it a then? different
3: type of viewer?
9: Uh. No, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, okay. you know, politically, their leadings might be a little bit different, but, you know, nice folks are nice folks. So I'm watching now a rally
3: in New York City with the Democratic mayor who's fighting with the Democratic governor, and the Democratic governor shows up at the Democratic uh, White House and can't get a meeting with the president about an issue that one would argue, since I'm with a journalist, one would argue was caused by this president, but they are now arguing for the right to get the 85,000 illegal immigrants in New York, give them the right to work. John, can you see a problem with that?
9: Well, I, I could see a problem for people who are citizens of this country or who are legal immigrants who can't find a job. Uh, the fact that it may be taken by somebody who is in this country illegally probably irks them, but I think in the overall, when we you know step back and take a, a view of this from the thirty thousand foot level, it, it would appear that New York State, New York City, and to a large degree Chicago as well, and and other cities are are finally understanding what states like yep. Texas and Arizona and Florida have been going through for decades, you know, to to a large degree. Uh, up, you know, northern tier states have been completely immune from this problem, whereas the southern states have been inundated by the influx of illegal migrants and having to deal with the logistical uh, issues associated with that, as well as the financial issues. And now you take a look at this: you've got 100,000, I think, illegal immigrants who are uh, populating New York City, which is a population of more than seven million. So it's a tiny, tiny percentage, and yet it's bringing the city to its knees. So, so what has Governor Abbott? What is Governor Ducey? What, what, what has uh, Ron DeSantis been going through trying to deal with the constant influx of illegal immigration? And have they been running to the White House to say, we need financial help? No, they've been running to the White House to say, please do something about this illegal cross-border migration. But they've been dealing with it for all of this time. And now New York is you know running, running to the president, even though the president apparently won't meet with them, to say, it's your fault. You created this. You need to help us.
3: So it's pretty amazing. They are, they're running for help. They want to stop the border, but they also want a lot of money. And they're just taking over a city, all our hotels, over 200-plus facilities. No city's been hit by this. Overall, if you wanted to get attention on a problem, it was genius for Abbott and, to a degree, DeSantis, to start offering this to citizens, to illegal immigrants, and say, listen, you don't have to stay here. Which city do you want to go? You want to go to New York? Hop on. And now they have to deal with it. And they're not even calling out Abbott anymore because they realize they're a sanctuary city and a right to shelter. So you have those two things on the books. You can't say anything.
9: All of this really does reinforce the notion that every board, every state is is now a border state. But, but you will recall that Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul and the former mayor of Chicago – and I think you know, mayors of, of some other cities, Gavin Newsom, of course, weighed in on this. We're we're you know, roundly criticizing Greg Abbott and Doug Ducey and DeSantis for ferrying people from the South up to the northern tier states. But let's not forget that the federal government has been doing exactly the same thing for years. And whereas Abbott and and DeSantis and Deucey did it in the full light of day with full transparency, sending buses to the Port Authority and, and other places. Uh, A few busloads of illegal migrants were dropped off right in front of our Fox Bureau here in Washington, D.C. The federal government was doing it under the cover of night with flights that would land at the White Plains Airport at 2 o'clock in the morning. These people would stealthily be put on buses and then shipped to God knows where you know the difference that the southern governors is, is is making is that they're doing this in the light of day for everyone to see they're getting pilloried for it but they really are highlighting a problem that the federal government has been has been dealing with in exactly the same way for decades now so we're, we're,
3: what is the strategy you're looking, you're great at looking two two moves and three moves ahead what is the strategy for this administration being this is is now a democratic uh, White House problem, a Democratic state problem. What are they going to do? Just ignore it until the
9: until the election? I I don't see a solution. I don't I don't see a plan. Uh, Mayorkas uh, still gets up in front of Congress at every uh, appearance and says the border is closed. Clearly that's not the case. When you when you take a look at the border barrier in Lukeville, Arizona, which is right in the middle of the Tucson sector, uh, you've got those floodgates that are welded open and hundreds of migrants are pouring across through that fence and through those holes every day, many of them with the assistance of smugglers on the Mexican side. Uh, and there's, did anybody from the administration come forward and say, you know what, maybe we should open and close those gates uh you know given the forecast for the day if there's no rain in the forecast for a, a, a few days uh close the gates stop the cross border <laughs> traffic then open them back up again now ron Vitello did say that logistically it's a little difficult to do that but what's what's worse having to dispatch people to open and close the gates or leaving them open for thousands of migrants to flow through uh, so so yeah. it again he, I don't want to say it puts the lie to, but it is in stark contradiction with what New Yorker says about the border being closed
3: and John, I know you got a few hours to the show starts. you got to go move with the news, but can you do you want to tease what's coming
9: up? Uh, We have got so much coming up, Brian, that you wouldn't believe it. We are by far the most approachable uh, (laughs) news program on the Fox News Network. Uh, We're going to be talking about a lot of things, particularly legally dealing with Hunter Biden. Uh, Bill Barr is going to be here to talk about that. Carrie Kupec uh, as well, uh, who, of course, uh, was Bill Barr's spokesperson at the Department of Justice. She is now our legal analyst. And we're going to be talking about the case of a lacrosse coach, the head women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College, who came out in support of the swimmer who finished second to Leah Thomas and, and now says that she has been pilloried by the college, called transphobic. Uh, oh. the, the, the team is is angry at her just for coming out and supporting women in sports. So that'll be an interesting topic to go over today. Uh,
3: make sure you use some of my Shokin stuff to see if Bill Barnu... That Shokin claims that he was fired for one reason, and that was about to investigate Burisma because that was when he was attorney general. Uh, Bill Barr will make news with John Roberts today. Uh, John, thanks so much. The, you know the show starts for two hours from 1 to 3. Uh, John Roberts will be there.
9: It's always great, Brian, to be able to approach you and not get the back of your hand.
3: <laughs> yes, because I have a temper. Go get him, John <laughs> Roberts. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Me Show. Newsmakers
2: and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth
6: you demand.
2: This is The Brian Kilmeade
6: Show. Derek Adams, the New York mayor, is saying about these migrants uh, in New York City. Any plan that does not include stopping the flow at the border is a failed plan. So why aren't you guys stopping the flow at the border?
1: We are stopping the flow at the border. If anything, what the president has been able to do on his own without the help of Republicans in Congress, something that he had to do on his own again because Republicans refuse uh, to give the funding necessary to deal with a situation
3: that is, I mean, she's not even good. She's not even bending the truth. She just makes things up. Democrats have passed nothing at the border uh, at all on immigration, zero. In fact, it hasn't even made a priority. All they did was make us more vulnerable, uh, get rid of all the uh, remaining Mexico policies, get 20,000 Mexican Marines off their southern border, not deal with any of the Central and South American countries, which people are crossing into in order to get here. Offering member, Trump was threatening sanctions, was threatening tariffs against El Salvador, the triangle countries and others. John Levine coming up. We'll talk a little bit about Hunter. But immigration is hot right now. There's a rally in New York City because it by far uh, outside the border cities. I know if you're listening in Texas and Arizona, New Mexico and California don't complain. But I'm sure it's a mess there. Uh, But they don't complain because this is looked at. It was a hit on the administration. So now New York thinks their answer to their problems would be first getting men out of the free food and drink and laundry game after 30 days and then letting them work. Here's Mayor Eric Adams, cut 22.
7: Right now we are at a disagreement. I need the, the uh, uh, national government, the federal government, the, both houses to come up with a real immigration reform package. I need the issues that we pointed out. And the governor has made it clear that she believes this is something that is basically New York City. We just disagree on that. New York City has run out of room. Any plan that does not include stopping the flow at the border is a failed plan.
3: That is true. But don't say because Republicans aren't working with Democrats. The first thing the House did is had their meeting at the border and not one Democrat showed up. Here is Kathy Hochul talking about whose responsibility it is and trying to get them to be able to work here. Cut 24.
1: I can't wait for the Republicans to understand that they have a responsibility to work with President Biden, to work with Democrats in the House and Senate, and come up with a solution once and for all, because the American people have been talking about immigration for decades, and they want answers. But I can't wait for that. I have to deal with the crisis in our state.
3: Yeah, uh, you can't wait for that. And they've done nothing for that. They won't even meet with you. And they claim you keep asking for money and you say, I need money. But they claim you're wasting the money they're giving you. So, by the way, it's just like watching your neighbor's family fight in front of you. They're not even on your lawn. But in the middle of it, can you imagine them yelling out and blaming you? While they're beating each other up, that seems to be what this family, this Democratic family is doing. Now, Sheriff Mark Lamb opened my eyes to something else. Some people believe that these cities are trying to solve their shortfall by claiming poverty when it comes to illegal immigrants and hoping to get it from the government. Cut 26.
0: These liberals... They just want to pad their pockets even more. And I guarantee you, even if they got the funding from the federal government that this governor is asking for after they said they were a sanctuary city and got what they deserve, even though I don't want it to happen to any American city, they're going to take that money and give it to NGOs, non-governmental organizations. Um, the, a lot of that money doesn't necessarily trickle down to fixing the problem. All it does is go to just furthering the problem. And then they're going to come back and say, well, if we just had a few more billion dollars, we could fix it.
3: And that's why uh, I did not know. But I was I was listening to Congressman Lawler. He said that the numbers gone from 59 to 84,000. They were starting to get it below 50. But now the people start surging again. If you give people jobs as well as give them three meals a day, a menu, and laundry service, don't tell me that giving them a job is not going to make things worse of course they're going to stream across that's what I that's why I fought Catholic charities too we're here to help people fine, but are you helping people because of those ten people you help you're now be responsible for forty because the word comes out that you're helping them and the types of dangers they put themselves in or their kids in as they send them with coyotes for a better life to get to your sanctuary for Catholic charities is too much. You have to think bigger than, well, this person came to my door with scraped knees, starving. I get it, but there's going to be 25 more and then 2,500 in a month. If word comes out that that's what they get, if they come and now we're up to 7,000 a day. So far in July, there were 183,000 border encounters. Uh, in June, it was 144,000. They sense with the end with the evaporation of, of uh, Title 42 that that number is going to go significantly down because of the new programs they had in place. And in the beginning, it did. But now it's r- ratcheting up big time, big time. So that's going to be an issue in New York and these blue states, I believe, that would force, I don't know, some of these seats to flip. So it's just amazing. More from Kathy Hochul. She talked a lot about uh, fixing the border, which he's never, as far as I could tell, has never been to. Cut 25.
1: A lot has to happen at the border. Okay. A lot has to happen at the border. I mean, we're still experiencing 3,000 coming to New York alone a week. I said, what's the end game here? What We can manage. We can put up a shelter to take care of 2,000 people at enormous costs. And I know the frustration of New Yorkers who are seeing something that they never expected. You know, their soccer fields being used for migrants and community centers and facilities in their neighborhoods.
3: Yeah, we wasted all this money. That's why people are leaving, because you welcome them in and make them more important than everybody else. And that's why 19,000 students living in temporary housing have enrolled in city schools already, typically two months to 18 years. What's the big difference with these illegal immigrants? The big difference is that they don't have to get vaccinated. They don't have to speak the language. I I imagine we're going to give them all their supplies. I just would like to say, if we're going to be supporting organizations and countries, can we have a say in it? Because right now, come one, come all. I agree. Congressman Maliotakis writes that it's time for Staten Island to secede from New York City, be its own state, and get two senators of their own. It's mostly Republican. The mayor doesn't want it, so let them split out. Count me in.
2: From his mouth to your your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
10: Well, I think uh, there's consensus in our conference now that we're going to have to go to impeachment inquiry. Obviously, that'll be Speaker McCarthy's call, but I feel like uh, we're there now, Sean. I feel like that's imminent. And I believe that uh, that will be a tool in our toolbox when we go to court uh, with our subpoena. Look, we've requested these documents. The House Oversight Committee has legislative jurisdiction over the National Archives. They've stonewalled us in the uh, Biden mishandling of classified documents. Now they're—you know—we hope they don't stonewall us in the pseudonym uh, request. Yeah. There's 5,400 emails.
3: But they are, and it's been over a year since they requested from the National Archives the three synonym addresses of the former vice president turned President Joe Biden, and they said, yeah, there's a lot of them. We'll get them to you when we can. Most of them are schedules. Really? Because a couple of them are something to do with Turkey, and believe it or not, Hunter is cc'd in them. John Levine has been all over this, New York Post writer. He's been all over the Hunter Biden story that keeps on giving. Uh, first off, James Comer saying impeachment might be the best way to go. Is it?
11: Well, you know, apparently opening an impeachment inquiry allows you a lot of new investigative tools to continue the probe. But some
3: moderate Republicans are not on board yet, and that could be a disaster. Well, right?
11: They, you know, this they went through the same problem uh, in 2018 when they impeached Trump, where there was a lot of Democrats, you know, champing at the bit to do that, but the frontline members in the swing states were kind of like, well, there really isn't a there there, and there's nervous. And for a lot of vulnerable Republicans now, there is similar nervousness where they say, well, we can't – there's really no smoking gun tying Joe Biden to any specific crime. So there's there's nervousness. And there isn't a smoking gun tying Joe Biden specifically to any crime that I can name right now. But there is an enormous amount of smoke that perhaps bears further inquiry, and there is the – obvious question of that he lied to the American people when he said he never had any involvement in his son's overseas business dealings, which begs the additional question of why would he lie in this way? What was he trying to cover up here?
3: So now we find out there's correspondence with John Kerry's office, huh? Hunter Biden, John Kerry's office.
11: Right. He, The entire federal government was leveraged to service Hunter Biden's, you know, businesses overseas. There was talk. I mean, if you look at the Romania case where he was trying to get that, um Convicted criminal to his charges to go away. He's living in exile Oligarch. in England now. Yeah, yeah. Papaviciu, I think, is his name. He was he was leveraging the U.S. embassy in Romania for contacts, and there was a lot of emails between him and the Romania ambassador, close Biden friend, and he he was very able to seamlessly leverage the U.S. government to integrate it within to his businesses, and I think that's that alone is something that I think could merit an impeachment. Inquiry. So
3: Daily Mail has that story with some emails that show number one that Victor Newland, Victoria Newland the whole letter, not just excerpts, was praising Shokan for how good he was doing. Keep it up. I know it's it's hard, but it's not insurmountable with the exact words. Also it shows Hunter was maneuvering with David Boyce's law firm in order to help save the CEO of Burisma and put pressure internationally. Why would Hunter be getting involved with things like that? And the term D C used Instead of the vice president. I think
11: Victor Shokin is at the heart of all of this stuff. And you did a fabulous, fabulous interview with him. And I am – I worry for his safety. He, he worries is, for his safety. And, and he should worry because he, he is he is at the heart of all this stuff. He was investigating Burisma. We know Devin Archer told the House Oversight Committee that, that Burisma wanted Shokin gone. Get rid of this investigation. He says we call, Hunter called back to D.C. Who is D.C.? Come on. And then all of a sudden – Shokin is gone. You have Biden bragging about forcing him out or threatening to hold US aid. This isn't this is this is as close as you get. And really it is. It's it it's open and shut like he he was acting on behalf of a foreign company and influencing US foreign policy on behalf of a foreign company cuz his son sat on the board. That's it. And then you've got in addition to that, the FBI document where the, the head of Burisma is joking about about how he has audio tape recordings of Hunter and Joe and Leverage and he's paying them both off. And this is not some steel dossier oppo file. This is a credible FBI source provided this information.
3: So here is Victor Shokin saying and this is why this is key. Because they say Viktor Shokin was not pursuing Burisma that would have hurt Hunter's interests. He got fired and was told to be fired because he was not prosecuting crimes in the transition from Poroshenko to Yanukovych after the election. But Viktor Shokin says that is wrong. Listen, cut for.
0: I have no doubt that there were illegal activities engaged in by uh, Burisma. As a matter of fact, the criminal case had been started before me. It continued to expand.
8: And Slochevsky, who at the time held the
0: post of minister and was the founder and CEO of uh, Burisma, started bringing in people who could provide protection for him. Hunter Biden was uh, among them. And the corruption
4: network expanded as a result.
0: So, yes, to answer your question, there, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Burisma was engaged in illegal activities.
11: You know, something in your interview that I liked a lot was when Shokin said, they always say I'm corrupt. He's a corrupt prosecutor. We had to fire that prosecutor." What single example of corruption can any of you point to? And it's like I'm thinking, I was like, you know what? I, yeah, there's nothing. You just it's one of the things that just gets said. You're saying, well, he didn't prosecute people. That's not really corruption. Right. Like we have a prosecutor in New York that doesn't prosecute people all day long for a living. Like, you know, you, that's not a fireable corruption offense.
3: You want a more aggressive. So what I did is on those stories, they had they had the headlines of corrupt prosecutor fired. So I put the headlines in the story. But I read the stories and all it would say is, you know, he's corrupt. Corrupt. And the corrupt, as people know, internationally known as – yeah. okay, but what? And so I said to him, why don't you sue for defama- defamation? He said, you need money to sue. Yeah. I'm living on a fixed income, and I get 800, roughly $800 a month to live here in a war zone, and I've been killed, tried to be killed twice at the end of this. He said, I have a book to write. Do you know a publisher, and do you know anybody that can provide security for me? It was unbelievable. We were off the air, basically, and he asked that. Right. As just a guy.
11: He, I, I think – he is someone that we should provide some kind of asylum to if, you know, if obviously the current administration probably is no not going to that. that. But if there is a change of leadership in Washington at the White House, that's got to be a priority is making sure Shokin is safe and protecting him because he's really a heroic figure. He's a whistleblower. He sound again, we don't – we still don't know what is true, what isn't true. But from the looks of it, he was trying to do the right thing. There was major corruption at Burisma that he was investigating. There was major wrongdoing and – You know, Hunter Hunter was clearly on the board to provide a gateway point to the father. There's no, he had no relevant energy experience. The FBI file makes this very, very clear. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, Barisma is clearly a shady company for doing such
3: a thing. So, Hunter's, uh, uh, Hunter Biden's law firm exchanged one thousand plus emails with Joe's VP office. Now, that firm was Rosemont Seneca. I think there's a story here in. John Kerry's son was a partner in that. And out of nowhere, he left Devin Archer and Hunter alone. Now, did he find sense that his dad said, what are you doing? You're going to make I'm secretary of state get out of there like the vice president should have done? Did he just say to himself, I want to backpack through Europe and I can't do that when I have a full time job? But John Kerry was asked to speak at Hunter Biden's class. I didn't know Hunter Biden was a professor at, at Georgetown. I didn't know that. So he right. said, This correspondent saying, Would you come and speak? And he's like, I want to go do this. So he had a relationship with the Secretary of State. Father is Vice President of the United States. He's got this international business going. No wonder people are trying to hire him.
11: I think John Kerry is an undersung part of this whole story. And as the investigation continues to expand, you may see more questions coming to him. You know, what can can you explain everything you just said? And I think maybe he said to his son, get out now while you still can. But look, Kerry was a U.S. Senator, he was Secretary of State, he ran for president. Um, and he, I believe, does he still have that job in the White House? Was like a climate, yeah, like, he's, he's like a he climate czar. Yeah. He's like a climate czar. Yeah. So he's still a very relevant figure in the U.S. government. And I think, yeah, there's probably a lot of grounds to bring him in for questioning to sort of figure out what we know, what we don't know.
3: John Kerry was one of the first established senators, uh, politicians to endorse Joe Biden, even when he was losing. So there's loyalty there and there's probably some payback involved. So another name is coming up, and Comer's ready to bring him back. Cut to.
10: I expect to see Tony Bobolinsky in front of an oversight committee hearing very soon. I think he wants to tell his story, and I know the American people want to hear the story, so we're definitely going to hear from Bobolinsky very soon. With respect to Sherwin, right. we've been trying to communicate with, with Sherwin, but uh, look— Uh, Sherwin's going to have to answer for all of these transactions. And where you referenced, Sean, where Hunter Biden was paying for things for Joe Biden uh, in these accounts, these are the accounts we're now asking for. And these are the accounts we're probably going to head the court in the very near future to try to obtain.
3: And Sherwin was, the, tell me, uh, right. John Levine, why you think Sherwin's important?
11: Well, there's two names there. I mean, I love Tony Bobolinsky, but we've heard a lot from Tony Bobolinsky already, and I, I, I hope if he has any new information to provide, that's great. But the real money name there is Eric Schwerin. Eric Schwerin was the CEO of Rosemont Seneca, which is Hunter Biden's investment firm. But he basically acted as sort of a CFO of the Biden family office, right? He handled all of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's money, and a lot of times their accounts were commingled. He had access to Joe Biden's tax returns. He was very intimately involved in the president's personal finances, and he, he is a constant feature on, in the hard drive on emails between, like, 2009 to 2019, a full 10-year spread. He had his fingers in everything. He's the most consistent business partner. He, even more than Devin Archer, I think, knows everything. He's the money guy, essentially. So, Eric Eric is the key to all this. Now, what I've heard, and if you believe the House Oversight Committee, and I do. He's cooperating with them, and he will eventually come in to testify. But you know, I, I make I ask every single week. They're sick of hearing me. When is swearin coming in? When is swearin coming in? They say, John, it's it's happening it's soon, mm-hmm. and um, we'll get that eventually. And I think there'll be some major bombshells from that guy.
3: And the question is, will he be honest? Because Archer's still holding back, in my view, because. He's gonna, hasn't been sentenced yet.
11: Archer's definitely holding back. So what is call when Archer says Hunter would call back to DC? That's not what does that mean? Who is DC? Wait, he's definitely holding back.
3: So when you watch the interview he gave online, you see the grimaces and the giggles. Yeah. You know he's holding back because he could be looking at substantial time in jail for something totally separate. Right. It seems he seemed to have smuggled or swindled some Indian tribe right. out of their investment, which. Do you have an ounce of integrity no. in you?
11: Archer is not a good guy. I mean, it's like, you know, birds of a feather, Hunter and Archer. So he he separately swindled some Native American tribes out of millions of dollars, some terrible scheme, and he's he's going to prison for unrelated federal charges that relate to that. So yeah, he, he obviously could say more and Schwerin, look, he's someone who probably he has his attorneys. He 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 doesn't want to say anything that'll incriminate himself, obviously. He's not charged with anything as far as I know. And-
3: so so John, the reason why Bob Alinsky matters now is because Bob Alinsky gave us so much so quickly nice. we were like hitting you got hit in the face by a blizzard. And we said, okay, let me jot this down. Can you back this up? What what do you mean he's the big guy? What do you mean you you met him at the Beverly Hilton Hotels behind a podium after hearing him speak? What what do you mean that you were asked to – and then you got double-crossed by the – so everything was so new. But now everybody's getting the competency that you and Miranda have helped give everybody through the New York Post and others. And we got the competency. Now he comes in and we go, oh, okay, now I know what you mean. And he is the link – to say, Joe, he's the one who who Jim Biden said, don't ever bring up my brother. Don't ever put his name in anything. So to hear that publicly is right. almost similar to the whistleblowers coming out and going, David Weiss is screwing this up on purpose. And I'll tell you, I took real time. I memorialized this in real time. You gave me competency now, but if I got those IRS guys two years ago, they'd be like Hunter, you know, Dave, what, what are you talking about? Now I'm now I
11: get it. Well, we've never heard from Bob Alinsky under oath. I'm pretty sure he's only given interviews to the press, which so that that matters too, because now it's going to be it's going to have the force of you know if it's a lie, it's perjury, and I do think it's good to remind the American people of everything he was saying. But I, I, I have a high bar for for new information, and I. Yeah. If he's going to come and testify, I think that's great. But I'm I'm hoping he can provide more information than he's had so far. And I and he also has stuff I think that he's held back. And I'm hoping, okay,
3: you know, just I have just a hunch. Well, he's got to protect himself.
11: He's got to protect himself. I you know I don't want any you know he, you know everything about Hunter there's it's it's wrapped up in so much you know potentially illegal behavior. A lot of these guys have to be careful they don't incriminate themselves. But I I do think Bob Olinsky. Has more he could say than he's even said up till now.
6: And
3: I go back and forth with him. I, I tried to get the first interview, and he I, he did the right thing going with Tucker at Bigger Show. But as I knew his wrestling contacts, I have a bunch of people that wrestled with him at Penn State. And they go, <laughs> you know, this, he's a good guy. And he walked on, and he's an animal, and he's tough. And then you look at his background. He became a military officer and then a self-made multimillionaire. He did not need any of this. No. But he's a patriot. And right. he's concerned about the country. So all I can tell you is if you're listening saying I don't know anything about him, guys that I know extremely well, one I've known since uh, th- second grade, tells me this guy is real and he's authentic and you don't want to fight him. Yeah, no.
11: <laughs> I mean I've I've had many dealings with him. He's always been a straight shooter, a rock solid guy. and. You know, I've never I never had any instance where I felt he was being untruthful.
3: All right, back in a moment, couple more minutes with John Levine. For example, like, where's his heading? So John makes these big stories, puts them on Friday, and then I have to read this stuff over the weekend. I got nobody to talk to about it. I got to get to the bottom of that story in a moment.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: John Levine here with The New York Post. So, John, there's a few angles to go on here. You have to wonder what those 5,400 emails are safe from the National Archives. And just for the record, these are the same National Archives who were desperate to get those that, that uh, top-secret stuff back from uh, Donald Trump to the point where they call the FBI. Uh, this is the same one that clearly has waited a year and a half to get them emails. If they were nonpartisan, they get the emails they requested.
11: Right. I mean, I think the idea that they're nonpartisan is pretty much out there. I always though. thought
3: before this, I thought archives were nonpartisan. Right.
11: No, it's shocking how the uh, allegedly nonpartisan organs of the U.S. government have obfuscated and stalled, and it, it appears to be an effort to run out the clock, hope that Democrats take back the House and shut the whole thing down. I mean, the FBI is a great example of that as well. They fought to not release the document showing that you'll out of these recordings. Um, so, yeah, the archives is partisan. They don't want to cooperate. And now we have the existence of these thousands of emails. And what do these say? And that's going to be another fight, getting access to those. But I'm sure we will, because at the end of the day, these things, these institutions have to be accountable to Congress. That's it.
3: Here's Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, Cut Three.
7: Two very disturbing things about this email thing. One is that while the volume of email is new, the number that are sitting in the National Archives, we've actually known about these email addresses for two years. Senators Grassley and Johnson sent letters demanding information about those names. Um, And they still have not been given access to them. So the White House is blockading that. The second thing is, you see there, those are private email addresses. Remember Hillary Clinton? How many of those did Joe Biden willingly send over to the National Archives? But how many didn't get sent back over in the end? Those are legitimate questions, too. If he was using government business on those accounts, can we be confident that there's a full record of everything that happened on those accounts?
3: Hmm.
11: Government business on private accounts. Where have we heard that before? Exactly. Big Uh, problem.
3: What about the explanation given? Why are you using aliases? Well, to throw off the Chinese? Really? We can't protect the vice president and president from the Chinese's emails?
11: If it's also innocent, then just put the emails out. You know, If there's classified material, which, by the way, that would be a whole other can of worms. But if there's anything that's that sensitive that we can't see, but uh, they're saying it's just calendars and nothing – release the emails again sunlight is the best disinfectant what are they trying to hide it just looks suspicious when they're not straight with the american
3: people irony this is what rudy Giuliani was pursuing in a way william barr if he was pursuing in his department of justice they would have been somewhat suspicious because joe biden potentially would be uh, another rival political rival but this is the story that rudy was trying to get at
11: these emails will be very important, and they will be released.
3: And will you have a column out over the weekend, or is Labor Day a time in which everyone's at the beach? Uh,
11: no, I'm. We're. I'm working. I'm going to have stuff this weekend. You will, yeah, absolutely.
3: And you're not going to tip me off again.
11: Nope. You'll have to read it in the paper.
3: <laughs> Thanks, John. Kinda.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
3: Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmead here. This is uh, the final hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show just this week. Matt Whitaker is standing by. And then Tyrus, uh, two punishing uh, great athletes, by the way. Matt Whitaker, a college football player. Tyrus, also college football player who went wrestling, just retired. And now we're going to just... Uh, Uh, dial up the intellectual level we don't he does not they neither one of these men have to throw people around anymore so before we get to them let's get to the big three
2: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three
6: number three
1: i can't wait for the republicans to understand that they have a responsibility to work with president biden and come up with a solution once and for all because the american people have been talking about immigration for decades
3: uh, Kathy Hochul disingenuously blaming Republicans for what's happening at the border. Stop laughing for a second. Let me finish. Embarrassing. New York is overrun with illegal immigrants. Governor Hochul travels to the White House. The president is there and sends his chief of staff. He doesn't even come by to say hello. My goodness, it's cost this city $12 billion over the last three years since he took over. And he does not provide the money, but does provide the illegal immigrants. I got to give him that.
2: Number two.
4: So You're part of the 23% of adults. <laughs> who is not? Who are not concerned about the president's ability to be president because of his age and stamina. I got it. That's but, because we've
1: got to do his watch percent.
4: But, but 77% of adults
3: are worried. Watch him? Yeah, we've been watching him. It's a horror show. 20 million and counting. That's how much Trump has raised since his mugshot went public. As well as Ron DeSantis. Not raising money, but showing he can lead by how well he... Dud did just that with Florida and the hurricane. At the same time, calls grow for Joe Biden to say goodbye as he ages before our eyes.
0: Number one. This morning, we are learning some new details about what was going on behind the scenes at the Department of Justice after an IRS whistleblower came forward alleging federal prosecutors were giving first son Hunter Biden some special treatment.
3: There you go. Uh, Mark Meredith helping us out. Hunter, high man of influence. Now we see that he was co- uh, corresponding with the Secretary of State, John Kerry. Yup, his dad knew nothing about his overseas business operations. Never came up. But did he call into business meetings to talk about the weather, too, with John Kerry? I don't think so. With me right now is Matt Whitaker. Hey, Matt, how are you?
12: Hey, good morning, Brian. Good to be with you.
3: Uh, well, first off, on the President of the United States publishes a mugshot and gets $20 million both scenarios, I never thought I would say out loud, but it happened.
12: Yeah, well, two thoughts on that is, first of all, you know, this was the left's uh, desire. You know, they were so disappointed in the first three indictments that they weren't able to get that uh, that iconic mugshot. They finally got it, and obviously it's blown up in their face. I mean, that you know, I, I know people— that are, you know, getting the New York Post, uh, the front page and getting that frame putting up in their house <laughs> as, a, as a work of art. So, you know, obviously, uh, Trump and, uh, you know, President Trump and his supporters uh, think that he has been wrongly targeted. I've never seen uh, the use of uh, prosecutorial assets and investigative assets targeted at one citizen uh, ever in the history of the United States of America. So this is not only unprecedented, you know, that word just doesn't seem to do it justice uh, as we talk about these things. But, you know, obviously, the president's supporters, is small dollar, ordinary Americans that know his policies work for them uh, are, are, are rallying.
3: Matt, my question is going to reveal I didn't go to law school. So uh, so a lot of <laughs> most of my audience, so I don't feel as guilty. But first off, we know 19 people are going to be tried. And if the prosecutor has their way, uh, Fannie Willis, all at once. Well, they've already severed one off. Um, um, he is now doing his own thing. And now we want another one. Eastman says, I want to do my thing. And then Fannie Willis goes, I want everyone tried in October. Who ultimately will decide if this happens and who gets severed, Cheeseboro gets severed or not?
12: Yeah, well, because you have a bunch of lawyers who are giving advice to a client, uh, you know, that's going to be very complicated in trying to navigate that and you know, um, I think one of the things about law school is you need to appreciate, Brian, is all you have to do is be able to read a lot <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> then day. you get it. But, you know, that being said, I, I think this, you know, Fannie, uh may have a desire to, you know, get this case resolved in, in the easiest way possible, which is all at the same time. But because of the conflicting uh, interests and the, you know, the, the advice of counsel defense, that ultimately will be the center of this for President Trump, and most likely people like Mark Meadows, who took the advice of people you know like Rudy Giuliani and Eastman and others. I think you're going to see this start to string out, kind of like I um, I don't know a, a, a logistics caravan. Uh, sometimes uh, will will string out, and so I think you're going to see these. Start to happen in drips and drabs, and everybody's going to want to go or after the, the per, you know the next person, and so I think you're going to see start of the timeline really get extended over the course of the next month or
3: two. Timeline it's for everyone or by. separately is that October date that Cheeseborough wants to go? Is he going to do that? Uh, am I not to think that that's in stone? Yeah.
12: So obviously, speedy trial is a right of the defendant uh and so since cheeseborough is a defendant uh you know he should be entitled to go when he wants to go and uh the government's gonna have a hard time arguing against that but you know that is going to probably be the pivot point for a lot of these other cases uh and if you know if they ultimately lose that case for example then you know the rest of them you know could could be looked at under a new light it's 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 legally fascinating but it's hard to predict because you know, each defendant has uh, their own unique rights, and whether they exercise those, especially speedy trial rights and other constitutional rights, is going to be up to them.
3: See, Matt, what I don't get is they're all, they all they all have different so uh, um, they all have different infractions. So how yeah. can you possibly try them all? You know, one wants to yeah. do delegates. The other one uh, right. wanted to do January six. The other one uh, was uh, accused. President Trump is accused of. Um, you know, extro- uh, who knows what he's. I'm not going to get into it, but you know, his <laughs> phone call. Uh, there where he yeah. wants to go find votes, or whatever you want. But they all did different things.
12: Yeah, they did, and this is, I think, the, the the challenge with a RICO conspiracy is trying to put all these disparate acts under the umbrella of the RICO conspiracy. Um, I think it's a very aggressive strategy that she has chosen. Uh, it's it's no one's ever done this in the context of politics or. Political uh, law, and then remember, there's an overarching uh, constitutional right to free speech, and so you know the you certainly have an ability as the president did when he called Raffensperger to call a secretary of state up, and and then the, the jury is going to have to decide whether that you know was was a, cr- a criminal act or whether he was just calling saying, hey, I'm down eleven thousand votes, and you know there's a lot of irregularities yeah. in Georgia, yeah. and so fine, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it, again, this is a, this is going to be up to a jury. I think the you know for me Brian the, the speedy trial issues are interesting. Who goes first is interesting. But I think the most interesting issue is whether this gets removed to federal court because that changes the whole complexion. You get a different judge, you'll get a different jury pool, a broader jury pool, much more uh, likely to pick uh, people that are sympathetic to uh, Donald Trump and his uh, and, and the people that were involved in 2020 election. So. There's a lot of a lot of moving parts. I, I'm, I'm well. I'm always going to be willing right. to come on to your show because I love
3: doing the show, Brian. Former acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker with us. So Matt uh, Meadows goes out there, the tip of the spear. He testified for about four hours uh, about why he needs to go to a federal court. But they started trying the case a little bit, asking why he did certain things. Yeah. On the, and I'm saying to myself, wait a second. I just thought they were just going to present the reason why they think it's a federal yeah. case. He was chief yeah. of staff. He was president of the United. This all happened when. The president was president of the United States. It was about a federal election. So instead, they start asking him why he did certain things, how he dealt with Trump. What? How did? Were you surprised all that came up?
12: Yeah. So I've been in that chair. I've been a prosecutor with a uh, defendant on the stand in a, in a preliminary uh, pretrial hearing on a you know a particular issue, and, and you, there's a scope issue, and, and obviously. Uh, the defense lawyer probably should have better done a better job of objecting to the line of questioning on scope. But it was pretty clear to me, you know, sort of understanding what was happening is that they were happy for him to tell his story. Now, that goes that's inconsistent, Brian, with typical defense counsel advices, which you don't want your defense, your, your client to, to tell their story more than once. But but be, be here or they're there, I think they're, they're, you know, they obviously wanted to uh get Mark Meadows narrative out there and they were happy to not object to the scope issue of that line of questioning now you know obviously the whole ball of wax for for Mark is going to be whether or not he uh was acting in the you know the the confines of his role as chief of staff I think it's pretty clear he was acting in that role. He was serving the president. It's a very broad latitude as to what you do in the capacity as chief of staff. Um, and so this—I mean, this is this is un, again unprecedented. So we're going. This case, at least as relates to Mr. Meadows, is going to twist and turn through the appeals court because whatever the judge decides, and, you know, whether to remove it to federal court or not, uh, that's going to be quite, uh, reviewed by appellate courts that will probably be much more favorable to his arguments.
3: Last question about this. And that is, mm-hmm. if Mark Meadows gets through to federal court, you see Fannie Willis appealing.
12: I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that. Okay, I so think it gets appealed either way.
3: So if he goes to federal court, does that help the other 18 go there too?
12: Uh, maybe. Um, you know, there's always an interesting tension between state and federal courts uh, because, you know, you're dealing with dual sovereigns, you know, uh, under a constitutional system. And um, if one isn't willing to relent, if, if the state court is wanting to hold on to the case or some of the defendants, uh, and the, certainly the prosecutor is, that's going to pre- present a, um, you know, a re- really a challenge. Obviously, the Supremacy Clause of the U- United States Constitution gives the federal courts uh, the leg up to, to, to be the ultimate decider of that. But I don't think it's, it's going to be as clean cut as maybe uh, most lawyers like me would think it should be.
3: Okay, and we'll see what the timing goes with all that. yeah, why do you think it's important to find out if Willis and Jack Smith were talking to each other and coordinating?
12: well, I think ultimately, if the prosecutors were sharing information and coordinating it 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 it, it em- emphasizes the uh targeting of Donald Trump and his allies and how they used uh the awesome powers of both state and federal government uh prosecutorial resources to target. Uh, Donald Trump. And I I think the American people need to understand kind of how desperate they were to bring every squeeze, you know, essentially squeeze everything out of the fact pattern and then decide who's going to take the cases.
3: Okay, I I want to go to the uh, the civil court, civil trial. So Letitia James says, I don't need to go to court. It's so obvious that he inflated his income in order to get loans and buy things that he shouldn't have been eligible for, even though and no one argues this. Nobody, no bank says I have a complaint. Nobody has not gotten paid back with interest. They just decided he inflated his income. Because of that, we don't even want to have a trial. We Let's work on the penalty phase. Trump says, I want to dismiss the whole thing. Matt Whitaker, analyze this case.
12: Yeah, she's not going to be able to just unilaterally uh, make a factual statement and then get to the penalty phase on that. Um, That's not the way due process works under our system, Brian. Um, you know, this is the, you know, when you have real estate assets or you have illiquid assets, I mean, obviously what their, their valuation uh, if you're going to get a loan, the the court, you know, the the bank would ask you what they're valued at, and you state a number. If the bank disagrees with you, they can obviously get an appraisal. They can obviously do their own due diligence. So, uh, I think this case just really uh, is a, a way aggressive for you know what she's allowed to do under the law. And I think she, you know, she obviously campaigned on getting Trump, and that's what she's trying to do.
3: She's trying to bankrupt him. She's yeah. trying to make it. And she, some of the things have been thrown out there that. We will liquidate your assets and prevent you from ever doing business again. So they'll take his buildings, his golf courses, who knows what else, what other interests that he has, although he puts his name on everything, it's hard to see uh, where he'd be a minority owner anywhere, and just prevent him from doing business in New York again. I mean, mean, it sounds a little
12: bit like the tyrants we we revolted against in 1776,
3: doesn't it? Which, by the way, they had no problems with Trump when previous administrations begged him to buy a, a, a rink and fix it in Central Park. Another mm-hmm. one, uh, Bloomberg begged him to revitalize the Bronx golf course. Everybody wanted his money when they were looking to run for office. But this same guy now is being targeted by people who see pure politics in this. It just it bothers me that our system could be abused like this. I don't care what you think of Trump. They clearly are targeting for political reasons somebody they don't like. That should not be possible.
12: Yeah, Brian, I couldn't have said it better myself, and I completely agree with you. It is uh, extraordinary how New York City um, took advantage of Donald Trump, uh, and then, you know, now they're trying to, you know, to put him out of business. It's just, it's, it's, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, you point out some of the things that he did for the city and for the state. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it just, it just shows you that, uh, the politicians on the left can't be trusted.
3: And Matt, is this why people, a lot of them do deals? They might be innocent. They feel they have a shot, but they can't afford the attorney fees. though their business going into uh hock, uh, their lives going on hold. So they cut deals. Is that what is they're trying to wear this guy out?
12: Yeah. Sometimes the process is the penalty and you are seeing that in this case, you're seeing, um, so much of uh, the weight of the government being used to, you know, twist uh, him and make him spend a lot of money uh, to defend uh, against a lot of spurious accusations.
3: All right, Matt, we'll see uh, if he goes, if he gets the nomination, wins and see if he gets Matt Whitaker as attorney general. Uh, Let's we'll see if he can <laughs> right, afford you. Friend. Matt Whitaker. Appreciate thank it. you. You got see it. All right. Meanwhile, we come back. Your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: She had an answer on abortion. A lot of Republicans said... That's a practical answer that is better than what the party's been saying a lot of uh, times on that. And so I'm hearing that there's a lot of Republican donors who are offering to hold events for her. And when you're in a candidate in a crowded field this far out, there's no call you'd rather get than someone from a donor, someone with a lot of money and or a lot of friends. And funnily enough, a lot of people with a lot of money have a lot of friends (laughs) who want to do an event from you. From Democrats, I'm hearing that they say if somehow Nikki Haley, if she could get past Trump, if she somehow became the Republican nominee and there's no Numerical way to see how that happens now. But if that happens, that she could be a very strong uh, opponent for Biden. So there are Democrats who say, I would not want President Biden to have to face Ambassador Haley
3: in a general. Uh, that is Mike Allen of Axios talking about the increasingly good fortunes of Nikki Haley. John in California. Hey, John.
8: Hey, good morning, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Um, What's in your mind? I, I know you have- I know you have a direct speed dial to trump, so i wanted I wanted you to give him the new nickname for joe biden it 's quid pro joe we've got to get rid of that crook the the retread of the crooked uh crooked Joe. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the the strategy by the uh, Republicans in Congress. They really need to take their time and drip out information as it comes because I think if they move too quickly. They're going to get another candidate in there if they're not already planning it already. And I know Gavin Newsom has a terrible record, but no matter what he does in this state, he's destroying this state, and they still got a 60% approval rating. So don't underestimate, just by, based on his terrible record, his capability of winning against Trump or any other Republican. Yeah, he's that's got his. That's my zero. Because he's
3: much more talented, but he's a terrible chief executive, and he stands for nothing. He ruined San Francisco and now he's ruining the state. But like you said, I did not know he has 60 percent approval rating, even though he was almost recalled a couple of years in. So as the smash and grab becomes a daily thing in Los Angeles and San Francisco and major businesses leave, he is probably more formidable than Joe Biden. I know what you're saying. But Republicans, you say she just a death by a million cuts. Don't just take him out.
2: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. One more time, Jimmy.
6: Yeah. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm oh. Stephen Colbert. I'm Jimmy Kilmeade. I thought when you
13: said Jimmy, you meant me, Jimmy, but you meant Jimmy, Jimmy. I always
11: you... mean you. But when you said Seth Meyers, mean... who do you mean? I mean, John Oliver. That
6: it's makes the sense. five of us together for a, maybe an hour a, a day. Strike Force
3: 5 is the name of our podcast. Subscribe to it now. So the five talk show hosts who don't have a job because of the writer's strike, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, uh, John Oliver, and Seth Meyers have gotten together, put together a podcast. So I just saw uh, Tyrus at the App Store. We met. We go there all the time. And he was downloading the app to know they get the podcast. And I said, Tyrus, you want to come on and talk about it? Because you're in late-night television with the number one show with Gutfeld. Tyrus is here. Uh, Tyrus got that memoir out. He's got a new book he's working on, too. But he's got a memoir that gives you an idea of how he got to where he is today. What's your reaction to the five guys getting together just
13: to to talk? You know, I I always support you. But... um... You were just completely dishonest with the American people. We go to the app store, you and I. We go for uh, video games and stuff. Let's be <laughs> honest. All right, uh, this is the first I've heard of it. Uh, really? And I said, "What do you mean?" Really? They want to raise money. The, they want to the raise, raise money. money. Yeah, uh, the five of them get together. Uh, how long will those egos last? I mean, I, I get it, but even I always think when stuff like that comes together, it's like it's out of desperation. Obviously, they want the strike to be over. Uh, I guess I never heard of improv, but uh, and get back to work. But it's a, it's a nice attempt, I think, uh, together. you know, If they film it, maybe they can give us a little run for our so, money. But... So,
3: Tyrus, so this is a couple of things. Do you know, did you watch late-night television at all growing up?
13: Oh, of course. I mean, I, I watched Johnny Carson. Right. I watched uh, Letterman. Arsenio I, uh, was Arsenio hot. was good. Um, Arsenio was like, hey, uh, we could do this, too. And, um, you know, and Bill I Clinton thought, famously played the saxophone. He used to be where
3: things happened.
13: He had that. And then, of course, Jay Leno uh, was good. And uh, so you watched it as much as I, I could, you know, being in school and stuff. You, you know, it was only like Friday nights. But uh, and then I watched more of the old Carson stuff because that's when it was just funny. When he had like Don Rickles on there and he had uh, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. on there and, and they had the, the great TV actors from that day. Uh, and it are, would
3: be so much be unscripted. Oh, it would just everything be, just now dope. is such a promo.
13: Well, they can't work because no one to write their jokes for them. I think that should say a lot to the fans. You know, that should be like you know the stuff they say. Uh, they're just reading a teleprompter. So really, the the ones you miss are the writers. Right. So maybe the writers should get paid more.
3: If I remember correctly, Leno when they went on strike. Took a week over then and they said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to write my own stuff. He yeah. was writing his own monologues.
13: Yeah, because he was talented. <laughs> and he's a workhorse. He's a workhorse. Like You know, you think Car- Carson would ad-lib, you know, but um, I, guess, I guess the other side of it, is it's a show of solidarity that, that we won't work while we're supporting. But then, then they go out and they do a podcast, so they are kind of working. So this is
3: what bothers me. The history of television is competition. Today's Show, Good Morning yep. America, Carson, Joey Bishop, you know, you, Dick Cavett, and he stopped talking to you. Don Rivers, they never talked again. you going to come mm-hmm. against me? You know, I'm yep. never talking to you again. Letterman and Leno fractured. The friendship fractured. Oh, really? Yep. You got the Tonight Show over me? I'm doing my own thing. At Those are the days. That's America. Right. you going to compete with me? These guys don't compete. They, don't comp- they actually well, not- swap
13: shows. I guarantee you, if, if any of them was in first place, it'd be different. Let me tell you what we did. Let me tell you what the Gutfield did, because we, for whatever reason, don't get invited to the Emmys, right? Probably because we don't cut the check, right? But um, they knew better than to give the Emmy to the second best, which is probably Colbert. Colbert, I think, is is the, the toughest competition we have. So instead of that, they gave it to John Oliver, which was the lowest rated show. So we HBO made once a week. Yeah, we made the late night Emmy a participation award. And I am more prouder than that than i actually winning the Emmy, because we took the establishment and they gave it to the lowest rated show.
3: That's so So, interesting. Yeah. So
13: that shows, although they pretend like we don't exist, but they weren't willing to give the the they weren't willing to admit they were going to have to take the silver. So I I take that as that in itself is when they won't show up when they refuse to take second. Mm -hmm. uh, You're in their head.
3: So a couple of things. I don't know where you were when. Stephen Colbert first launched, he was getting zero ratings. The only reason he got ratings is because he just went all on the offense against Donald Trump. Right. Well, then And they just, they wouldn't even split it. Like, if you watch Leno, sometimes he'll they'll do this thing with Jimmy Fallon. Where Jimmy Fallon says, you know, I, my calves bother me. I need a break. And he'll walk out and Leno takes over out of respect. Right. And he'll come to his mouth. You know what he does? Immediately starts hitting both sides. And guess what happens? Both sides laugh. Yeah. Because it's an equal opportunity offender. Why do you see it ever coming back?
13: There's because here's the deal. There's the the Trump hysteria. There there was a short term spike in it. CNN went all in. Uh, all these media guys went in. All these journalists went in. And you look at the guys who were at the at the forefront of the of the attack in the Trump train. Um, uh, what's his name on uh, um, CNN? Don Lemon went hard in the veins of the Tapper. Jay Jay kind of does the thing where he'll say something and then kind of like apologetically back out of it, but uh, like uh, Acosta went all in. He was all in. He was his nemesis. He hassled Rude him. Rude hell. Could just nonstop. And when it was over, wow! You've been in, you've been in the gym, huh, bro? Did you see he that? Just, wow! <laughs> I just ripped the just microphone relaxing. off. Acosta really bothered you, but uh, no, it's okay. It's okay, Eric. We can wait till the break and uh, <laughs> look at that. But <laughs> once it was over. He went away. They gave him a show. It tanked out. You know, uh, that's the thing. They all went in because, you know, um, Fallon had that great bit with Trump, President Trump's hair. And he caught so much hell for it. But everyone was laughing. He had everybody. And, they, made, and they they bet on the half the country. That, but they realized that the other half of the country who works and comes home at night, those are the ones who are sitting and watching 11 o'clock to, to laugh and go to bed. So they just basically kind of spit in the face of half the country, and then they are shocked that their numbers went in the tanks because the people they bet on, once the, the Trump thing was done, they they didn't stay with them. They didn't come back. CNN is in the, is like battling with HLN.
3: So I, I was talking to Pierce yesterday, and he's friends with James Corden. Yeah. And James Corden had very creative stuff. I, of course, he had to do his obligatory Trump's terrible but he used to do plays like he used, oh. he used to stop traffic and do mini plays while the light was red and then come back these used to do extraordinary things but know what they said the amount of money you're costing me to do this show where letterman used to thrive in that that area yep. actually the exact same show i'm not getting the ratings so w- basically they can't
13: afford him anymore so he's like i'll just go back to england that things are changing right before our eyes well the thing is here's what it is when you when you come on at twelve midnight, the viewer is not trying to be scared or angered; they're trying to go to sleep with a smile on their face. And you want to make everybody laugh and happy. And plays on the road, I would rather hear than bashing a president that half the country voted for. Right? Like it just it, there was no money and sense in it. And then uh, some of his off the field stuff was a little weird. But again, it goes to the same thing where.
3: You mean in the restaurant when he blew up at people? Yeah,
13: Yeah. Uh, you know. But you get into this thing where you—the best thing to do is make fun of everybody. Don Rick—the Don Rickles philosophy is what I live my life by. I I make fun of—I make fun of Trump. I even occasionally, although I don't make fun of you because that's all Gutfeld does. That's all he does. My role is to be like, why? Why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) <laughs> show he's a good guy, man. What are we doing here? Like, right. And if you can't convince him. I mean, there's, I heard her shooting in the tent, but like throwing dynamite sticks in the tent is ridiculous. Right. I was shocked when Perina, Perino took a shot at you. No way. Yeah. And I was like, what are we? You too? Yeah. She took a shot Allison, at you. Allison, was I not to this? Are you trying yeah. to keep me? When Dana Perino turns. Dana Perino hosts the show. And I, I believe it had to do with some level of creepiness. And your picture popped up. And I just went, you too? Dana at two, uh, Perino? Wow. So like, I, I will have you know, last night when I hosted, there were no Kilmeade shots. Would you have taken them out? Yeah, I, I, that, I see. Here's the thing: you wrote it. You wrote I write it. my own stuff. Oh, okay. So at no point was I going to shoot who? Uh, I just don't understand it. Like anybody who needs help, Kilmeade's there because oh. it's not like you're going home. Like yeah. you know, you don't even have lunch breaks, right? That's I eat it, I, I do eat at my desk. Yeah, you do.
3: You know, <laughs> you say that's in my backpacks. For? Yeah, that's key, you.
13: Good stuff
3: in there. All right. So last thing. Is I had uh, I interviewed Greg twice in a half hour, one for Fox and Friends and then one for the Saturday show. Yeah. For his book. Late night. And in it, uh, we bumped in in the Fox and Friends with all his hits on me. Right. And I said, explain yourself. And we just went back and forth. People are writing headlines. Kill me. Gets his revenge. Demands. it. That's not what I said. We're just having fun. Explain it. But it goes to show you, even though we're in the media. Anytime you do something on Fox, they're not
13: going to understand it. No, well, or they're going to try to Great make it indeed. literal, yeah, yeah. like I, absolutely yeah. literal. Yeah. You know, because I said I was talking about uh, we, were, we were talking about neo-pronouns, right? And basically my, my philosophy on that is if you are spending time inventing things for yourself instead of competing, like, if you're not doing well in school, then you say, well, you're not a, you You identify as a non school learner, you know, or whatever the mm. hell it is. And I said, if my children came home with that attitude and, they, and instead of doing their homework, they said, these are my pronouns, daddy. I said, well, my pronoun would have been, I think I said butt whipping, but I was using the <laughs> A word, right? Next day, Tyrus threatens to assault children. That's right. I saw that. I never read <laughs> the, the article. <laughs> and no one read. No one read yeah, the article. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like at, least, at least when we have like the old tabloids, it would be like Tyrus has a lucid affair with Batwoman. You know, that like would have been better. Cool, like cooler. Right. Uh, Tyrus f- finally fit on alien spaceship. Hopefully they'll keep him. Right. So, you mm-hmm. know, but like it's just that's the, the – they try to go literal to try to get a thing. You know, and, and you going after Gutfeld, I think it's passwords. I passwords. I'm right. retired. I happen to know a promoter right. by the name of Billy Corgan. You know, at some point, I think you got to say, with your UFC background uh, and your clear, clear upper body strength, you just ripped the microphone off the thing. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I think it's time to call Gutfell out. Man to man, let's settle this in the ring, um, and, and let's just make it happen. Do we I make it early morning submission. or late night? Oh, you make, it, uh, you make it early morning. Okay. Because that way it will be quick. And literally, as soon as you get done, we'll <laughs> have your suit pressed and ready for you, and you won't miss any of your hits. You remember day. Brian Kilmeade did the first five UFCs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I went to school it's, on this stuff. You went to school stuff. You All hung right. out with one of the toughest human beings on the planet, Jim Brown. Right. Like, the, you have complete advantage. Back in a moment.
2: It's so, yeah. Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, whose own story personifies what good education can do, called it a national humiliation. And for once, she wasn't talking about Kilmeade's haircut.
3: (laughs) So... Tyrus, I, I, I can't. Uh, give me a second to compose myself. Yeah, Dana, Perino, Dana Perino. I'm the shots. only
13: person she's ever went after. Ever. Oh, and if, if, if you would have kept that going, you would have heard us like, why, why? I threw my hands up. <laughs> why? What are we doing here? Kill me, on And here's the thing. She also used foul language. She dropped an MF her at the end of her, her thing. She was like. Not to do with me. No, she was oh, yeah. jacked, too. Like, uh, she had done some planks or some pull-ups. Yeah, she was like She go. was. She was, I had never seen this side of her. It was right. completely aggressive, and I don't understand it. You guys worked together on the five that day. There was no reason for hostilities. I, I just, you know, me, I don't know. Put it this
3: way. Not only did I work, I worked the next day, yeah. and there was not even an acknowledgement of the shot given.
13: She must, be, she must think that I'm over it. I am not over she, it. I, you know what she assumes is because you get up early? I think Greg thinks the same thing. There's no way he's going to see this. Yeah, but the but you is, have eyes and ears
3: everywhere. I do. And the problem is now it's on at 10 o'clock, so I'm watching the repeat when right. I'm coming to work.
13: So I see it all. Yeah. And my self-esteem will never recover. I mean, let's just – what's going on with, with, with Dana? i am You and I are having a heartfelt thing about my retirement, and she talks about my calves. Oh, yeah. Like, what, just, <laughs> what, is, what is with all the anger? I know. It's unbelievable. So a guy who never skips leg day, like the squirrels – Confuse my legs for trees. Like it's just it was just unbelievable. I don't want cold. to put you on the spot, but after this
3: I have a few reads to do. I do you want to go to human resources?
13: N- you know what? No. <laughs> <Can> you be- <laughs> because you imagine running to her in the hallway. That's I, she terrorizes me. Right, There's two that's people a- I fear at Fox, that's Judge Janine and Dana Prino. I always stay on their good side.
3: There's one thing you'll never see Tyrus in the waiting room inside human resources no. to file
13: a complaint. I think they'd be like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Your feelings are hurt. So we'll get you.
3: I, the other thing that I find fascinating is this guy, Alvarante. I read a column yesterday by Nicholas Kristof in The New York Times. Every Democrat hates it. And he said, what happened – to the Democratic Party, if you listen to the words, if you listen to what he said, that used to be the Democratic Party. He's going to bat for the for the little guy who says that they don't get they get taxed too much. You know, other people don't. North of Richmond used to be a problem. That everything goes outside the joke when he said, "If you're five foot three and three hundred pounds, don't I don't want to support your your uh, junk food." Besides that, he says everything else he said used to be the Democratic Party, and then he got mad that the Republicans were saying, "You're my anthem." So here he is on Joe Rogan. I want you to hear some of it.
11: When a person like yourself gets labeled a right-wing, left-wing fanatic, like right out of the
6: gate. <laughs> both, in, both in like a week and a half. And, yeah, at least I know I'm doing something right. Uh, you know, why do people have to attack? Well, it? I think it's just for whatever reason I've been – I'm the subject matter the last couple of weeks. In everyone's defense, I probably haven't. I've waited for th- for this opportunity, I guess, to really – have a real conversation with somebody about whatever it is i am so people are just trying to find who's this oliver anthony guy and what is he and where does he work and who did he vote for and what's his family like and yadi because they want to sort of build this um image of whatever it is that the person behind the song represents for better or for worse right. it's really funny to watch on my end because obviously i know what's true and what's not and so like just even what i've skimmed through of people sending me like like singing at the super bowl like how many people have formed an opinion about whether or not i should be paid to sing at the super bowl like i'm not singing it's a super bowl that's just somebody made up there's been hundreds of hours of people's time wasted probably talking about all these little like things that don't even exist it's just somebody made them up and put them on the internet and so i'm just letting them ride i think they're i think it's i think it's great i I just think it's great like that at least the last couple weeks i've been able to entertain everyone and get everyone's mind off like all the all, all the other horrible stuff that's going on in the world right now
13: so what do you think, uh, Tyrus? What well, do you think about the phenom a week later? You know, I think the, here's, the, here's the point. And I think what happened to the Democratic Party is pretty easy. Bernie Sanders brought the socialism in, and it just spread. Because now moderate Democrats are considered right-wing. Like, Bill Maher has not changed his politics at, at all. all. But he's right-wing. Um, you know But it, it's not just him. It's everybody. You know, recently I, there was an article written about me how I, my net worth was, I think it was $5 million. But I had blown it all on poker and drugs. And nothing to do with that. And I I just wrote back, sir, I've never played poker. You know, know, it's just they try to throw things on the wall for the reaction. You know, they they get the reaction because usually if you say 10 bad things about somebody, they're hoping that the the laws of averages, 40% of it will be right. And then you just connect the thing with feelings. And there's no facts and just anything that's said against the narrative because it's the progressive party now. And they're the, the minority, but they're convincing everyone that they're this giant thing. But the and,
3: voting bait, the blue collars have moved into Republicans.
13: I mean, oh, they, they've picked it up. If you're because of very simple things, when you go to the grocery store and your average bill for the last and not to, let's take President Trump out of it during Obama, grocery bills weren't ridiculous either. So you, if you averaged one hundred and fifty dollars a week for a family of four for groceries and then all of a sudden that same grocery bill is now three hundred dollars, you're going to have a problem because that money has to come from somewhere else and then all of a sudden your light bills up 40% because the taxes to keep your light bill going and no one everyone talked about gas no one talked about electricity electricity bills were killing people a, absolutely at one point you were looking at now all of a sudden your light bill was 85 bucks now it's 285 bucks and then, so now that's 500 bucks that you're out now and you're you're not getting a raise that's all that really they care about when their check comes and they divide it yeah. up. I got to pay for this, I got to pay for that, pay for that, and then like they don't have anything left. What do we promote for Tyrus? Oh, uh, you yeah, know, I got my live events. You look it up on my uh, link tree, and of course, Nuff Said comes out in November. You can pre-order now on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles.
3: All right, good. We'll promote each other's
8: books, right.
13: and I will not insult you on air. Thank you. Only in person. <laughs>